so thank you. Please be seated, guys. Uh, my name is Dan. I'm the campus pastor here, and we are going to be talking today about community. Uh, as uh, I've been bringing people up to speed, we're, this is week 10 of a 12-week series, and uh, started with promises, went through promises, and now we're into practices, okay? So last week, we talked about prayer as a habit, a practice that we engage in as followers of Jesus in order to become more the people that God has created us to be. And uh, the practice that we're going to talk about this week is community. We're going to talk about being together. Community is unfortunately a buzzword uh, in the uh, kind of like evangelical circles in which I operate. And, uh, and a lot of people say community when they mean other things. But basically what we're talking about when we say community are the people around us who we depend on and who depend on us. The people around us, both physically, literally, and also emotionally and spiritually, who we lean on and who lean on us. And we believe that this is a really important thing for us to grasp and get a hold of if we're going to be the people that God has created to be, simply because God did not create any of us to follow him alone. There isn't a single character in all of Scripture who has been called alone to follow and obey God. Even Jesus, the Son of God himself, God incarnate, was called along with first three partners and then 12 disciples. And even he was placed within the context of a family where he had parents and brothers and sisters and people who counted on him and who he counted on. There's not a single one of us as followers of Jesus that is intended to walk this road alone. So that's why it's worthwhile for us to spend some time focusing on this community that we have been called to. And we're going to do that by looking at the book of Ephesians, specifically uh, Ephesians chapter 6. Now, by the time we get here, Ephesians, okay, so this is a thing that we have to talk about a little bit because I'm going to quote C.S. Lewis later, but I'm going to quote C.S. Lewis now. Ephesians is really hard to read, mostly because it's one long run-on sentence. Um, so any, so one of the things that I was taught when I was learning how to preach is that you find your passage and then you're like, well, go back to all of the things that links this to, to find the beginning of the, of the thought. And unfortunately, every place that you do this in the book of Ephesians takes you back to the very beginning of Ephesians. Um, and this is annoying for English readers, uh, specifically to the point where C.S. Lewis, who I appreciate as one of the great Christian writers of the 1900s, uh, said that of all of the gifts that God gave Paul, it's a shame he didn't make him a good writer. Uh, so this is okay for us to do. In fact, Peter even wrestled a little bit with Paul. In 2 Peter, Peter, uh, Paul, uh, in 2 Peter, Peter writes, Paul says many things, many of which are difficult to understand, uh, but with the unrighteous disregard to their peril. So if you're like, I'm a Christian and I have a tough time with Paul, that's okay. Everyone does. Uh, but one of the things that Paul has done to this, in, in this book is he's established Jesus as the foundation of everything. And then in the previous chapters, he's talked about how the reality of Jesus and his coming kingdom affects our relationships. And he's talked about this specifically in the contexts of, of, of husbands and wives 
and, and parents and children and, and workers and bosses. And the reality is if we're truly following Jesus, then the reality of the coming kingdom affects all of our relationships. There's not a single relationship that we have with other people that is untouched by the reality of Jesus. If we're truly following Jesus, every person who is driving another car on the highway, every person who is in line with us at a Tim Hortons drive through or in person, that our relationship with them is affected by Jesus and our allegiance to him. And when he gets to the, at the end of ch- changing all of these things, he says this at the beginning of, uh, at one point in Ephesians chapter 6, he says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. And what this points us to is two truths. If we can go to the next one, this is going to be a hard sentence for me to say, and I wrote it myself, so I have no one to blame but me. Two truths to build true community, okay? So these are things that we have to remember together if we're going to truly follow Jesus and be the group that he has called us to be. And these are that we have been called to a battle, okay? And we, secondarily, we have been called together to that battle. Now, that's, we are in a very specific time and place living in North America in the year 2022 that makes these two truths difficult for us to grasp. The first truth that is difficult for us to grasp in North America is we don't like to think of ourselves mostly in a, as being in a battle. And I understand exactly why. One, I'm uncomfortable sometimes with uh, military imagery that the Bible gives us. It makes me feel weird. I don't feel like I'm supposed to go out and attack anyone. I feel uncomfortable with that. And secondarily, when we talk about spiritual warfare, and we can be honest about this, a lot of the people that are really excited about spiritual warfare are kind of weird. Right? And some of you didn't go to Bible college, but I definitely went to Bible college with some guys who were like, I'm going to go fight demons with my spirit sword. And we're all like, okay, you go do that, Jeff. And, <laughs> and the bad part about that was it made me neglect something that the Bible talks about as being very true and very important. And because of the Jeffs of the world, I took this way less seriously. And I think that we do need to take it seriously, that we are in a battle. And in all honesty, the thing that kind of brought this back for me and helped me to live into it is that I began to meet people that genuinely did spiritual warfare, and they talked about it like it was the most boring thing in the world. The first uh, people that, the the people that genuinely began to change my mind about the concept of spiritual war, because I was one of those cessationist people who was like, ah, there's no, Satan's not actually doing stuff, don't worry about it. Um, It changed about, uh, like, almost 20, over 20 years ago now. I was at a, uh, I was at a church, we did a house blessing, someone bought a new house, and in the Anglican tradition, you get together with your church, and you walk through the house, and you like, bless the bed, please sleep here, uh, like, and you just go through the room, and it's a really beautiful thing, but there was these two like women in their 70s and 80s who were uh, Anglican priests, and one just turned to the other and said, if there's any demons or anything, you're going to take care of that, right? And she was like, yes, and then they just walked in, you know? So... True spiritual warfare, I've found, with true people who engage in this and take it seriously, often looks very mundane. 
they don't take it, they don't, they don't get weird about it, they don't get wired up about it, they, the, the story ends up being about like, yeah, <laughs> this genuinely happened in the Maritimes. I asked one of, my, one of the older ladies in my church uh, if she'd ever cast out a demon, and she was like, yeah, we went over to Linda's place one time, and she was floating. <laughs> she, she was floating, and then, but just, Roger just came over and said, in the name of Jesus, get out of her, and she's married to Jason. He fixes cars for the city. <laughs> right? We need more of those ladies, and we need fewer Jeffs. Right? And we need this to understand that we are in a battle. We are in a battle that we need to take seriously because that is to what we have been called as followers of Jesus. And secondarily, we're called together. One of the things that's unfortunate about our culture in North America is that we're very hyper-individualistic. And we're just like, I pull myself up by my bootstraps, and no one has ever helped me, and I'm going to go off into the West and be alone, when uh, occupy a place that no one has ever filled before. And me, I'm doing it, and no one else. That's not the reality in any other part of human history, and it's not the reality in most any other part of the world. In most, we have to learn this as North American culture, and we need to learn from the cultures around the world in Asia, in Africa, in South America, because they are much more reliant on each other and understand the concept of community. Because they understand that we are called together. And family isn't just the people who have the closest DNA to me, who happen to be in my building right now. That family is the people that you choose and choose you to carry together the lifestyle that you want to lead. And we don't take this seriously, but the reality is that we have been called together. So we're going to have to grasp this. Can we go to the next one? Okay. So first thing I want us to understand is that we are in a battle, but it's not the kind of battle that we're generally good at understanding. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against the authorities and against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. This is really interesting and very important for us to grasp hold of clearly because we are no doubt in a battle, but it is not against any other human being. One of the fundamental realities that changes when you become a follower of Jesus is that no other human is your enemy. There is not a person on this planet who is your enemy. Now, that doesn't mean that some people aren't dangerous. That doesn't mean that some people aren't caught up in lies. We all understand that. But our enemy is never another human being. And that does not change dependent on their lifestyle. That doesn't change dependent on their religious beliefs. That doesn't change based on their political beliefs. There are no other humans that are our enemy. And we need to take that seriously because this world is built on convincing us that other humans are our enemy. And there are forces in this world that want to divide us, that want to pit us against one another, that want to diminish the humanity that is in every single person. And as followers of Jesus, we need to fight against that. We need to fight against that instinct in us to withdraw and say, no, you're an outsider. I don't want anything to do with you. We need to 
fight against that instinct that we are forced to by, by, by consumer interests that say, no, if you get some, you're going to take away from me, so I am against you. We have no enemies as followers of Jesus, no matter how hard some people try to convince us of that. And that's one of the first thing that we have to acknowledge is that we are in a battle against people who are trying to convince us that other human beings don't matter as much as we do. And we also are in a battle against forces that are trying to convince us that we can bring about perfection on our own. This happens anytime we get into a conversation about politics. And if you're wondering about how I feel about politics, I feel the same as you. I'm just, I agree with you. And uh, so don't, don't worry about it, I agree with you. And, uh, but one of the things that makes me really nervous is I'm, I've met Christians that seem to believe that if we just elected all of the right people, and if we just put in all of the right systems, that then the kingdom of God would exist. And that is a lie straight from the pit of hell. There is no system, no slate of people that we're going to elect, no political party, no movement that is going to bring about the kingdom of God. That is only going to come through the movement of Jesus bringing heaven on earth and making that known here through our lives. The problem with all of these is us. Like, why doesn't communism work? People. Why doesn't capitalism work? People. Why doesn't this political system work? People. We are the problem. And... Our battle is against those forces that make us think that we're not. And we need to take that battle very, very seriously. Our battle is not against flesh and blood, but it is against, could we go back to the, thank you. Our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. They want us to think, those forces want us to think that if we damage the people around us, that we can bring about the world that God wants, and that is not the way that God has ever worked. When God wanted to change the world, he did it by sacrifice. And we need to take that seriously. Can we go to the next one? So therefore, put on the whole armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you have done everything, to stand. Now this is really important as well because when we're in a battle, sometimes we think, I got to go out and I got to fight people. We got to be like Jeff with our spirit sword running into a field somewhere, right? That's not what we're called to. We're called to stand. And that when we are attacked, we don't move. This is difficult as human beings because we have three instincts when we're attacked as human beings. So the first is to fight. We want to like bring it out and we want to start smashing and, 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 and hurting other people as much as we are afraid of getting hurt. And then our second instinct is to run. We're going to flee. I'm just going to get myself out of this situation. And, so, and then there's a third instinct that I've learned over and that's to fawn. To just, oh, I'll just make you like me. Like, I don't have to fight you, I don't have to run, I'm just going to be like you and then you'll be fine, I'll be fine because you'll like me enough that you won't damage me. And all of those are contrary to what God has called us to do. He has called us, after all things, to stand. And this is illustrated very clearly in Psalm chapter 1. 
When God says, blessed is the man who does not walk in the way of mockers or sit in the way of, of fools or, 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 or stand in the way of sinners, but instead he delights in the law of the Lord and on it he meditates day and night, he is like a tree planted by streams of living water that bears its fruit in season. Trees are not attacking anyone. Trees are not running from anyone. And trees do not change who they are to accommodate the people who are around them. They stand. And that is the thing to which we have been called together, is not to attack, not to run, not to fawn or to imitate, but to stand firm and strong in the reality that God has called us to. And those forces, even within the church, that tell us that we got to go out and we got to fight. We got to defend the word. We got to defend the Bible. We got to defend the church. God is doing a fine job of that. Do we genuinely think that we're going to do a better job of defending the church than God is? Do we honestly think that? Do I honestly think with my, like, even with like seven years of organized Bible education and spending a good chunk of my life defend, studying it, that I'm going to be able to defend the Bible better than God is? That's not my job. My job is in the place where God, places where God has placed me to stand firm. And I shall not be moved. And that is way easier and way more fun than thinking that you have to attack everyone that disagrees with you. The other part, if we could go back to the to the this, okay. We have a problem in English with collective nouns, okay? So, you is singular, right? But you is also plural most of the time in English. And this confuses us, because in the Bible, these yous are plural, completely, okay? We know that because Paul has been talking to a group of people the entire time he has written his letter. So when he gets to writing about the full armor of God, he doesn't now stop talking about you collectively and start talking about you individually. He's still talking about you collectively. So we need to grasp this as we read that almost every you in the Bible is not about you, the individual. It's about you, the group of people who have been called to follow Jesus together. Now, unfortunately, English is bad at this, okay? In North America, we've got three options for a collective plural noun. Um, one is in Pittsburgh, and they use the word yins. It's like, and so they're wrong. Like, it's only in Pittsburgh. I don't know what's going on there, but they say, like, where are yins going today? So we're going to discard that, okay? Uh, second one is one I grew up with on the East Coast, and that's yuz. What are yous up to, right? So... That is a fine one. It's okay. It's a little bit difficult to say, especially if you're trying to run them together. But by far, the most superior development in the English language to have a collective, uh, a collective second-person noun is, thank you, Southern United States, y'all. Okay? And I know that some of you get mad at y'all. You're wrong. Y'all is a perfect linguistic development. Language grows and matures, and we should all embrace the y'all, okay? 
But this becomes really important because it says, therefore, put on the full armor of God so when the day of evil comes, y'all may be able to stand y'all's ground. Okay? This is really important. None of us are called to, def- to stand anywhere alone. We are called to stand together. Y'all may be able to stand y'all's ground, and after y'all have done everything to stand. And we do this not alone, not even with just our nuclear family, but with everyone who has been called to Jesus together. And this is a problem that we have that I don't think we take each other nearly seriously enough. I was watching, sometimes I think that we think that, that, well, this group of people around us as followers of Jesus, this must be God's second choice, right? That if God was, if we really had the best people, then God could genuinely do what he wanted to do. And there's some churches that have been built on this system, that if we just get celebrities and famous and rich people to come to our church, then God will be able to do what he's going to do. And that is completely untrue. I was, this morning, I was watching Team Canada make their selections for the 2022 World Cup. Uh, They did that this morning. So 26 of Canada's best soccer players all got chosen to go and represent Canada at the World Cup. And they were the first choice. These are the best 26 that they can put together on a team. There's no leftovers on this team. And there were some really, really good players who were left on this team. But this is the top choice. And I want you to understand that as every much as one of those 26 players were the top choice for God, uh, sorry, for, for, for John Herdman, the coach of that team, to go to Qatar and represent Canada, you are on the first choice of the team to go and represent God in the place where he has placed you. You are not a second choice. You're not B team. You're not junior varsity. You're not leftovers. You are the first and primary choice, plan A, that God has to proclaim his truth and to proclaim his glory and make his name known in the place where you are. Do you get that? I don't know that you get that yet. (laughs) I'm going to be honest with you. I think that you're like, I get it intellectually, but not here. Every person around you is God's first choice to represent him in the places where he has planned to work. C.S. Lewis talks about this in his, uh, in his essay, The Weight of Glory. And he says, we don't understand how significant other people are. He says that every human being that we encounter is an eternal being. And they are on their way to either being the kind of demon of which you would be terrified and afraid of in every single way, or a celestial being of the kind of glory that you would be tempted to worship them if you saw them. That is where every single human is headed, and we do not get that. C.S. Lewis says this, there are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilizations, political parties, constitutions, these are mortal and their life is to ours as the life of a gnat. But it is immortals whom we joke with, work with, marry, snub, and exploit. Immortal horrors or everlasting splendors. Every person that you encounter an immortal horror or an everlasting splendor. 
So when we say that we've been called to battle together, we're not just called to battle together with like, Ugh, what's going to happen with these guys? I don't know how that's going to work. We have been called together with beings of everlasting splendor. We have been called together with God's first choice from amongst the nations to bring his truth and his word and his glory to the world. That is whom we've been called with. And we're, when we're called to community, this is not about getting together and having some nice tea and having some nice coffee and sharing some nice stories. This is about being in battle with beings with whom we will one day be in awe of. And we need to start to understand that and take that more seriously if we're genuinely going to be the community that God has called us to be. Can we go to the next one, please? So what do we do? Knowing that this is true, that we are in a battle, that we've been called to battle, we've been called together, then we stand firm with the belt of truth buckled round your waist, the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. This is, I don't have, like, one of the hard things about preaching this passage is that it's already an illustration, so to illustrate an illustration sort of feels like putting a hat on a hat, you know, like, but, but we tie ourselves together with truth. We protect ourselves with doing the right things, understanding that we have been just and right in our actions, that we know how we ought to treat other people, and we take that seriously, and then we we ground ourselves in the reality that the good news is peace for every person, that no one is our enemy. That is the armor that we are putting on. Can we go to the next one? In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, which with, you can, which with, you, with which you can extinguish all of the flaming arrows of the evil one. This is interesting because we lose sight of this. The Roman, our individual Roman soldiers weren't that good. Um, they were actually kind of bad. They were city guys. They tended to be smaller and weaker genetically. Um, so Rome, when they were conquering the world, didn't do champion combat because they, champion combat is when, like, we take our best guy and you take your best guy and then they fight in the middle and then everybody else gets to go home and one of them dies. It's a much better arrangement. We should still do that. We should totally, if we could just get Zelensky and Putin in a room and then it's just like two men enter, one man leaves, better for everybody, right? But... That is not how we do things, unfortunately, now. But, one of the, but what made the Romans great and powerful was their cohesion, that they were a disciplined group, and you could never fight one Roman. You had to fight, at the very least, 100 Romans. And they came up with a formation that they called the turtle formation. So your shield in the turtle formation is not to protect you. Your shield is to be planted in the ground, and it's supposed to be linked up with the shield next to you. So ultimately, the guy next to you, the person next to you, their shield of faith protects you. And then the person behind you lays their shield on top of your shield and protects you from anything that would come over the top. And then the next person lays theirs on top of them, and then it seals until you have this entire turtle formation. And that was standing. Because armies would gather around and they'd be trying to penetrate this, they'd be trying to destroy the unit, and they couldn't do it because they couldn't break through everybody's shields. There was no, the, the, the oil would drip off, the flaming arrows would come off, there was nothing that could be done to break up this, this, 
this turtle formation, except for war elephants, but that's a whole other story. But So when we take up the shield of faith, we don't just do it for ourselves. We take up the shield of faith for everyone around us. And that I take my and that when my faith gets weak as it does, when I get overwhelmed and when I feel like I don't know if I've got enough faith, it's still leaning on my partner's faith. And I borrow their faith when mine is weak. And when their faith gets weak, they borrow from mine. And when ours gets weak, we borrow from the person behind us. And all of our faith balances out. We are not called to like, I got to maintain and white knuckle this faith all the time. That's going to come and go sometimes. But what we have been called to is to link up with our brothers and our sisters and our siblings and to say, when my faith is weak, I'm going to count on yours to be strong. And when your faith is weak, you can count on mine to be strong. And we're going to stand together. Take on that. Can we go back? Sorry. I just want to read it. Take on the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests, keeping this in mind, being alert, and always keep on praying for all of the Lord's people. What is the action of a battling army that has just put on the whole army of God, uh, armor of God? We should pay attention to this. The action that they've been actually called to, yeah, is to pray. They're not called to go out and attack people. They're not called to go out and convince people. They're not called to go out and, and, and take some sort of territory. They're called to pray. And that is the action of a community that is engaged in battle together. That we are prayerful people. Taking seriously that when we call on the God of everything to work, he does. And there is infinite power available to us when we do that. So we back to the beginning. These truths that call us to, to true community that we, have, that we ought to remember, that we have been called to battle. There is a struggle that we are in. It is not against any other human being. And anyone that tells us that it's against other, another human being is a liar. But we have been called into a battle against forces that want to diminish us, that want to diminish other people, that want to divide us, that want to make us smaller and make us more and more tighter into our own groups so that we are left alone. And it is only when we are alone that we are in danger. We have been called into a battle and we have been called together. Now, I would like you, I'm going to ask someone to turn up the house lights. I need everybody to stand up for a second. And I want you to take a look around, like genuinely, actually, physically turn in a circle if you can and look at the people around you. You don't have to touch anyone. No one's going to, like, shake your hand or hug you. We don't have to do that. This is God's first choice. Every one of you are God's first choice. Every one of you are an everlasting splendor. Every one of you is necessary for us to do what God has called us to do. There's not one of you that doesn't have a role. So I would like you to look around at these people and take them seriously. That these are the brothers and sisters that God has called you with. These are your partners. These are your family. These are your, the people that, into which you have been called into battle. Yes, you can wave at each other. That's fine. We normally don't have the lights on. You can totally do that. That's a good and wise thing to do. 
right? Some of you are going to get closer than others. That's okay. But I want us to begin to take each other seriously as everlasting splendors. Because that's going to remind us that I need to treat this person with care. I need to treat this person with justice. And it's going to remind you that I can lean on this person when it gets hard. Take these people seriously. The image of God has been imbued into every face in this room. And as we prepare to sing three songs together, so don't leave right away. We're going to sing some more songs, okay? But as we're, we're worshiping together, worship as training with the force around you and recognize that you are part of the, 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 the force that God has called together that is going to change the world forever. Let's pray. God, I pray that we would take you seriously. I pray that we would truly believe the things that we claim to believe, that you are sovereign, that you are in charge of the world, that you know what you are doing, that your will is going to be done as earth, on earth as it is in heaven. And I pray that as we believe who you say you are, that we would step into who you have said we are. That we are your children, that we are your followers, and that we are your army. And our battle is not against flesh and blood. There's no humans who are our enemies. But we are called to stand firm and joyful and strong in your promises that you are bringing about our good now and forever. So help us to do that. Help us to take each other seriously. Help us to, to recognize the everlasting splendor, the image of God that is in every single human we meet. And help us to trust now and everywhere we go that you, we are your first choice to bring who you are to the places to which you have sent us. And we ask this in Jesus' name.